0: Welcome to the Connecting Place Podcast. Here is today's message. We live in the greatest time of human history. There are more opportunities than you can imagine, and uh, we're going to talk a little about that this morning. Um, we've been traveling for 20 years, teaching on the family. Uh, my wife and I have been married for about 42 years now. been married a while. i got six kids. All of them are pretty much out of the house. I was working as an engineer for uh, about 12 years in the electrical industry. God called us into the ministry, so we quit our job, sold our house, and moved to go to Bible school. Got out went to work on a local church staff, and it didn't take long to realize, for all the great things that were going on in church, and church was growing, we were running several thousand, that the uh, counseling offices were packed Monday through Friday. I thought, what's going on? It's like the, the homes are going to hell in a handbasket for all the great things God's doing on Sunday. People are getting saved and spirit filled and doing missions. And we got outreaches. Our families are, it's, it's, something's wrong. And so we thought, maybe we need to start a class or something. So my wife came and said, we need to start a parenting class. So we did and did that by eight and a half years on Sunday evening. You had to really want to be there because it was five o'clock on Sunday evening. And we realized everybody hath a psalm, hath a hymn, hath an opinion. And it didn't take long to realize, I think we found the problem. We don't know what we're doing. And so we're going to have to kind of go back. If you put the picture up, I'll show you my kids. I've got uh, uh, pictures of my kids because I want to show you something. Um, I was working as an engineer in Sykes, in Missouri, years ago. And I was what they call a manufacturing engineer or a process engineer. I was not an electrical engineer. People would call me an electrical engineer. I wasn't. I'm a, I'm a process engineer. Uh, I'm trained for processes. Companies hired me to do two things. Number one, if you hire me, my job is to make sure that what you're making does what you say it does. If I go to Home Depot, if I go to Lowe's and I buy a box of your product, it better do what that box says it does. I'm a quality control guy. But the second half of my job is once I was hired, I have about a year to make that product better. A year from now, that product Whatever you're making, wire, cable, doesn't matter. It better be doing better a year from now than it's doing now, and it better be making a bigger profit. So, my job was to fix stuff that didn't work. It was sort of schooled into me. I'm looking for hell every day. What's your job? I fix hell. I was hired to fix hell. If there's no hell, they're not hiring me. They hire me because they're having a problem. So, you know, most people get up and they hate when they have problems. Well, I loved it because that's what I get a paycheck for. I remember at about 2 o'clock in the morning, I got a call, and uh, they called our big rod breakdown machine that feeds the entire plant. All this massive plant built back in World War II, old as all get out, and some big company in New Jersey came out and moved their people out there and to take it over, trying to get a better working condition. And so the concrete's real cheap, and we've bolted these big machines down, and it's breaking loose all the time. Well, the big rod breakdown machine that feeds the entire plant shuts down, just shuts down. They've checked the breaker, the fuses. So they call me, Joe, the machine's broke down. It feeds the entire plant. If this machine doesn't get up, in two days we're gonna be laying everybody off. Get in there at 2 a.m., plant managers there, the foreman's are standing around. Now, I didn't make this machine. I don't know diddly about this machine. I just understand the process. So I asked the basic questions. Did you check the breaker, check the fuses, flip the switch. Yes, yes, yes. I said, well, where's the manual that came with the machine? Now, about 90% of the time, during those years I worked as an engineer, Eventually, somewhere in the first five minutes, I'm going to ask for the manual. Everything comes with a handbook. Everything. You buy a blender from Sears and Roebuck, it's got a handbook. You buy a lawnmower from Lowe's, it comes with a handbook. You get a new automobile, it's got a handbook. Everything comes with a handbook on how it's supposed to function. So I remember that night. I said, where's the handbook? And they didn't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? It's a half-million-dollar machine. It came with the book. Where's the book? what's probably in the foreman's office so we go in the foreman's office bottom drawer of a big file cabinet. it had not been opened it's still in plastic because you know it is when you're a man i don't read books i just put it together get me a screwdriver and a hammer and we're going to put it together and so it's a kid's bicycle whatever you know how we are. there's always parts left over i don't know we didn't need this it didn't go anywhere put those somewhere <laughs> So so I get the handbook I open it up and I look I first place I go is the index I'm going to the back now nobody's watching what I'm reading they're just watching me read I go to the index goes even a half million dollar machine has got an index for troubleshooting so I'm looking at the troubleshooting section. They're all standing around. We're getting nervous. And it's hot. It's late at night. And it's like, what's going on? And I'm reading the index. And I'm looking at troubleshooting. The machine's not running. Check these things. And i checked check that, check that. I don't remember if it was number four or number five. It said, is machine plugged in? <laughs> I'm not making this up. So I closed the book. Now, nobody knows what I just read. They're standing around. And so I laid the book down. And this machine's in the back corner of the plant. It's about twelve foot tall, thirty foot long, big massive breakdown machine. Now I look down the back wall. has got about, I don't know, about a foot and a half. I'm looking I'm looking for the plug. I'm not telling anybody what I'm looking for. So I'm looking, of course it's just nasty tobacco spit and trash and cuz like I don't see a plug. So I was much skinnier back then. I turned sideways and I eased down the wall. I looked down the back wall and sure enough there it was the two twenty plugs hanging halfway out of the wall. I thought great. I turned sideways and walk all the way down. I get down to it and I Boom, and I kicked it in. Well, as soon as I did, the machine came on. Boom. Well, it took a minute to get back out of there because I'm against the wall. I come back out, and everybody starts, let yeah, it go. No problem, but tears up again, call me. <laughs> <laughs> and I sent them an invoice. <clears throat> he said, was that wrong? No, what do you think? You think I want those guys to feel stupid? Hey, idiot, it wasn't plugged in. I'm not telling that. you that. You should have checked to see if it's plugged in. You didn't. You paid me. That was real expensive, too, by the way. (laughs) Everything came with a book. You and I came with a book. We function according to the book. If you try to do something separate from the book, you're going to bust it. Now, I was a teenager, I had a truck. We don't like the way the truck came. We don't care about the manual. We're going to mess with that truck. Number one, we're going to jack it about three feet off the ground. You're going to need a stepladder to get in it. We're going to reverse the wheels and make those tires stand real far, which they don't work good if you hit something hard. We're going to put a roll bar on it so if we roll it, it'll protect us. That truck wasn't designed to roll. It was designed to ride down the interstate. So we did roll it. Now, the bar was fine. The truck was totaled, but the bar was fine. (laughs) We cut the muffler off so you could hear us coming. (laughs) Everything you weren't supposed to do, we did, because we didn't read the book. By the time we finished with the truck, the truck was worthless. All humans came with a manual. All children come with a manual. They're supposed to turn out a certain way. Now, when I was a process engineer, I realized something. We started teaching on family. I got to thinking, well, I just think like an engineer. First thing I'm doing them when they call me in, what is it? Well, I'm here to fix it. What is it. Well, it's not working. Where's the manual? Got to find the manual. How is it designed to work? So we started teaching on family and parenting. I thought, well, what was supposed to happen in the beginning? You know, let's find out what it was supposed to look like. And I realized basically all men and women have three basic job descriptions. All males are lovers, leaders, and providers. Ephesians five twenty five: husbands, love your wife like Christ loved you. That means I'm to love my wife unconditionally, whether she's nice, not nice, cooks, cleans, or puts her makeup on. My job's to love her, period. Well, nobody told me that when we were getting married. My job's to lead, 1 Corinthians eleven three is God's ahead of Christ, Christ ahead of man, man's over the woman, woman's over the children, children's over the dog, dog's over the cat, cat's over the mouse, mouse over the cheese, or the pecking order in the kingdom of God. But the word there's not boss, it's, it's servant. I'm, Jesus said, you want to be great in my kingdom, become the servant of all. I'm the head servant of my family, I'm not the head dictator. I don't tell my wife what to do, I ask her what needs to be done. I'm the head servant. Well, nobody told me that when I was getting married. And then number three, any man that does not financially provide for his family is worse than an infidel. He is the one who's denied the faith. My job's to make money. Nobody told me that. I got married because I saw a beautiful woman, just a great looking gal. God, she looked good. She smelled good. She kissed good. She cooked good. Let's get married. <laughs> Did you hear from God when you got married? No, I saw something good. And I had a 5, 10, and 20-year plan. My 20-year my plan was to suck the lips off her face and eat a cheeseburger. <laughs> it only lasted about three months, and then we started talking. <laughs> Any anyway, all that kissing produced this. These are, uh, these are my five girls. i got five girls and a boy uh, over on the right. That's Sarah Elizabeth. That's my oldest daughter. She's something else. She was just born smart and uh, doesn't mean she's holy, she just was born smart. You know how that is? It doesn't have with character. It's a gift. Anyhow, Sarah turned out really good. She's a college professor, got her doctorate at Oral Roberts University. She's a professor of curriculum development at Northeastern State University. My second daughter there, Jessica, she came out completely different. Blue eyes, blonde hair, left-handed. Incredible girl. She's just so different. And uh, she had teeth like a beaver. Just <laughs> Beaver teeth. So I had an opportunity to spend $5,000 on that mouth. It's incredible. <laughs> and I was looking for somewhere to put some money. I didn't know where to put it, and God gave me her, and it was incredible. And, uh, but she was a great athlete. She was an all-state basketball player, three-point shooting champion in Oklahoma, and went to Oral Roberts University on a basketball scholarship. Over on this side, that's Corey, my third daughter. She was mad when she showed up. She hated being a middle child. She could never understand, why am I a middle child? And I said, God made you a middle child on purpose. Well, I don't like being a middle child. I don't ever get anything new. I get nothing new. That's right. We bought good stuff. It's still good. Put it on. <laughs> and she get mad because she had to help out with the little guys. We had three after her. And how come I'm gonna help out with the babies? Cause the old ones are gone, you're still here. Shut up and change the diaper. And so we were having a very intense conversation one day, and I remember the story of Madeline Manning-Mims, the great Olympic track star. And Madeline was born with bad lungs. Her mama would get her up in the morning, take her downstairs in the projects, make her run around the block, not to make her an Olympic track star, but to build her lungs up so she wouldn't die. Madeline said, we did this for days before I realized I never saw any of my friends running around the block early in the morning. I asked my mom, Mom, why do you make me get up and run around the block every morning? I don't see anybody else running around the block. He said, my mother sat down on the edge of the bed that morning and here's what she said to me. She said, darling, you're not going where the other children are going. The price you pay is different. And I made a plaque out of that, put that on my wall. I don't want my kids running with any other kids. I want you out front. I want you way out front. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Go lead somebody. Go serve somebody. Go do something. Don't run with the crowd. My girls ran cross-country. I said, if you're running cross-country, if you, if you don't see anybody else, one of two things are happening. You're either doing really, really good, or you're doing really, really bad. But if you're running cross-country and you see anybody else, you're not doing nothing. That's a deep thought. That middle gal there, that's Tessa, my fourth daughter. She's my straight-A student. She's a health science major at Lee University. Corey went to Lee University and got a journalism major. She owns my publishing company and does stuff. Jessica now works for me, the blonde headed one. I didn't want any of my kids working for me, but I've changed my mind after 20 years, so we're hiring them now. So, uh, yes, because they know what we want. Anyhow, uh, Lauren and Corey, Tessa are also different. Tessa comes out and she'd love medical shows. She'd, we'd watch stuff at dinner. She'd want to watch heart operations and liver transplants. I said, shut that off. And she loves stuff, so she's at Dry Galt's today in Oklahoma, her and her husband working in the medical field up there. And i said, say, how's your day go?" Hey, it went great, man. We put two eyeballs in, set one arm, 12 stages. It was an incredible day, Dad. She thinks that's great. It's just a sick kind of a warp. <laughs> but she loves it. She loves fixing busted people. Lauren there, the <laughs> girl second from the left, Lauren was my fifth daughter and just never could get a handle on her hardly. It's like she would sing to trees and twirl and dress up like wacky stuff and... And so finally she got old and I said, what are you going to do? She said, well, I want to go into interior design. Now, all of, we came from very poor families. Denise's family's from the coal mines of West Virginia, mine from the copper mines of East Tennessee. Poor, poor. Her dad dropped out of school in eighth grade. My dad went to the 12th grade twice. Should have gone three times. They wouldn't let him back in. And so we grew up poor, and, uh, but we worked hard and we paid our tithes. If you work hard and pay your tithe, you'll get places others won't get. And so we were going to burst that curse and bust that, so I'm going to make all my kids go to college. So Lauren comes along and says, what are you going to do? I'm going to be an interior designer. I said, no, you're not. That's a stinking waste of time. No waste of stinking interior design. Who gives a hoot? we got a world down and going to hell. You're going to be something to help somebody. I am. I'm going to help develop their property and their interior of their buildings. I said, no, you're not. She said, yes, I am. I said, no, you're not. That's a waste of time. You find something else. Took her about three months for her to put all the scriptures together. She came back, to sit down, Dad, and I'm going to tell you something. I am called to go into interior design. Well, you're not going to do it. She said, yes, I am. I said, when you get to heaven, Dad, you're not going to eat on a card table or off a paper plate. It's a really nice place. Martha Stewart did not decorate heaven. God's real gaudy. Pearly gate, gold street, angels with eyeballs, never side of the body, six wings. God's really gaudy. And she had all the scriptures, and finally I said, "Fine, interior design, fine." And so she's at uh, the Elmore School of Design in Franklin, Tennessee, today, and uh, it's a real expensive school. You could buy two pickups with what it costs for one year, but all my kids got scholarship money for which I'm so thank you, Jesus. So, and when she gets out, she'll make more money than all my other kids combined. So I fought that for years. I'm trying to help you. I'm not a perfect parent. Now, I'm a godly parent, but I'm not a perfect parent. The next picture is my son. Because we were looking for a male. There he is. has got a male child. My God. When he popped out, thank you, Jesus. Because we never wanted to know what they were. I don't want to know what that baby is. It's like opening your Christmas present, you know, Christmas Eve. That's just a sin. You wait till Christmas morning. So when he popped out, I realized he's got, he's got something. There's a thing. And I got excited, and Denise started crying. She's on the delivery test. I said, what are you crying, baby? You okay? She said, well, I have to have another one. What? What did you say? We'll I have to have another one. Well, four. He'll need somebody to play with. I said, you've got five sisters. That's it. we got six. We ask God for five kids. God does above, beyond all he can ask. We have six. And, of course, John turned out real male because he had five sisters training him. So John turned out He is a hoss, buddy, of a guy. He's captain's football team, the one-state championship, and he's dated the same girl his whole life. He just he just locks in. He's just a real. So anyhow, having six kids will not make you holy and famous. Having six kids will make you insane and broke <laughs> if you don't know what to do with them when they show up. Now, what I realized early as a parent, most people didn't plan on having kids. Oh, you dad, you want any kids? Sure, we'd like to have a few kids. But once they show up, they all you'd hear is, can't wait, you're out of here. I tell you right now, you're dumb and dirt, you're not going to mount the hill of beans. I'll be glad when you turn 18 because you're out of here. And we thought parenting was something you did until they turned 18. That's not in the Bible. You'll be a parent when they're 52. Oh yeah, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> I began to realize somebody had not taught us something that we needed to know, and so just in my engineering mind, I thought, "We got to go back and figure out what happened to the family." Well, it got busted. Where did it bu-? Well, it got busted in the garden. So I'll just give you a couple of scriptures here. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, has got a really great passage here. I was reading this one time. I, what were you thinking, God? I mean, we're got a world down and going to hell. We're having to change diapers and buy Pampers, and we can't even afford curtains because we got kids. Malachi chapter 2, I'm going to jump in here, oh, verse 15. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Here's what God said. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are his. And what does he want? Well, it says he wants godly children from your union. What was God looking for? Offspring. He told Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Now, don't go home and try having a baby. Having a lot of kids, just slow down a little bit. But I want to show you something. Then the last verse of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, says this, verse 5, talking about the end time. said, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Marriage is under a curse. We are the most Christian nation on the face of the planet. More Christians per capita in America than any other nation. Now there's a revival all over the planet. We are the most Christian nation and we happen to have the highest divorce rate. Currently, according to the US Census, 50% of all first marriages will end in divorce. 67% of all second marriages will end in divorce. 73% of all third marriages will end in divorce. It does not get better, it gets worse. Because I've been there. I know that, well, you married the wrong person. Married too early. Married too late. Married on the rebound. Should have dated longer. Should have met their mother. I never would have married if I met their mother. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> and we don't realize that marriage isn't something you find. Marriage is something you build. Jesus didn't find a church. Jesus built a church out of thumb hellbound sinners. You don't find a nation. You don't find a career. You don't find a life. You build one. We're on a messed up planet. So when we began to work on parenting, and I realized in our local church, we're missing it somewhere. We're getting them saved. We're getting filled with the Holy Ghost. But then hell showing up doing a headstone. Where are we missing it? Well, it went back to what the Bible said in the beginning. So you go back to the first family. Adam and Eve had a great deal going. Lived in a great neighborhood. Weather was perfect. Clothes were cheap. Food was free. It was a great deal. But the devil had been fired from his job, showed up in the garden, gum-flapped them out of everything, got them to sin. Sin's got death attached to it. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they got fired from their job, evicted from their house, and their kids started killing each other. God showed up in the garden. Adam, what are you doing? Well, Adam was hiding. Where are you? He said, I'm hiding. Now, God knew where he was. He's trying to get him to admit it. So what are you doing? I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Well, I was naked. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat that fruit I told you not to eat? Well, here it starts, and Adam's thinking I it. Well, it was the woman you gave me. And God, you know, me and you, we had it good. It was paradise. I mean, it was great. And ever since you brought her into my life, my life's been going downhill ever since. <laughs> now, I'm paraphrasing, but that's Aaron in the message translation. What happened, woman? So God goes to Eve, what's your story? She's thinking a minute. Well, you know, snake. Snakes' fault. I didn't like snakes. Snakes' fault. And right from the beginning, you realize what happens when people have sin in their life, it's always somebody else's fault. Well, if for, for my daddy, I'd have been somebody. One for my mom, I'd have been somebody. Coach that played me, I'd have been somebody. Boss didn't fire me, I'd have been somebody. But I hadn't married them, I'd have been somebody. You're a thumb sucker. And your whole life, it's somebody else's fault. It will fill all 624 news channels today. President's fault. Congress's fault. Senate's fault mayor's fault, their fault, not my fault, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what you realize parent, if you don't get the word of God into them early, they'll spend the rest of their life. Well, I'd have made a good grade if the teacher would pass me, and I'd have played ball if the coach would play me, and I could have sang that and put me in the choir. But they, is there, and no, shut your face up. <laughs> We're not going to tolerate that. We're going to launch something that's going to change some people. So you go back and realize in Genesis everything went downhill from there. You go all the way down to the flood, the Tower of Babel. We're going to the book of Revelation. It gets uglier. So what's going on? Well, we live in a messed up world. So I do this for my kids. Can't do this late at night. It's too scary. But I did this for my kids one time. I said, let me explain where you've been born. You've been born in the United States of America. You live in the state of Oklahoma. Really like this state. It's a great place. Uh, But uh, you're you're in a messed up deal. Uh, This is uh, hell's just raining everywhere, and so when's it going to get better? It's not. It's going to get worse. We're going to get better. The world's not going to get better. And so I'm trying to paint a picture for them because I'm tired of your thumb sucking about why you didn't make a good grade, why Coach didn't play, why you don't have a date, why you didn't go to the prom, why you couldn't get a scholarship. Shut your face up. Everybody has a sad story. So I went, and here's what I did. I went to the book of Jude. I just started at the back and worked my way forward. So let me explain where you live. You live on a planet that, that Satan is the god of this planet. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is the little g, temporary god of this planet. John ten ten, 10, he steals, kills, and destroys. We live on a hellacious planet that's getting the snot beat out of it, and it's not going to get better according to the word of God. We're growing from faith to faith and glory to glory. We're getting better. The planet's not getting better. We're the answer for the planet. We're the light. We're the salt. We give food to the hungry, water to the thirsty. We help the orphans. We help the widows. We visit people in prison. We fix hell. It is our full-time job. We are a hell-fixing machine. Matthew 5, 9, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is up there talking to the boys. It's a great message. I'll just pull this one part out. He said, he said blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Well, the 60s run that word forever. We think somebody's a peacemaker, tiptoes around stuff, never confronts. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, will get in your face. He never ran from nothing. He's fixing stuff. So if you read most other translations, it'll say this. Blessed are not the peacemakers. Blessed are the problem solvers. They shall be called the children of God. Our full-time, 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week job, we fix busted stuff. But if you don't know that, you're a billboard for busted stuff. You know what happened to me? You know what happened to me? You know what I haven't been through? You just can't remember what I haven't been through? Like, we, hell, and, we don't want to hear it. We've got our own. Shut your face up. So, well, let's just stay on this just for another 60 seconds here. You go over to Matthew sixteen verse thirteen. Jesus, three years later, has got the staff up on the Mount of North Sea of Galilee, right there at the foot of Mount Hermon, at the headwaters of the Jordan River. He's talking to the staff one day. Said, "Boys, who do men say that I am?" And the boys said, "Well, they're not sure. You're not normal. You're a formerly famous person who's died and come back. You know that water walking. That's not normal. Five thousand happy meals. That was not normal. Raising that dead kid. Not normal. You're not normal. Who do you say that I am?" And Peter spoke up. Said, "Well, you the man." You're the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting on. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, upon this revelation, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Now, I live I, I, I live in a way out in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. You come to my house, you get on a dead end, mile and seven tenths, dead end road. You don't drive by my house. You have to come here on purpose. I live well out in the country on purpose. I love the country. I live on the side of They call it the mountain, Oklahoma. It's just a ridge, but they call it the mountain. And we've had to kill most of the snakes and the scorpions and stuff, but I love living out like my kids living out. And so I, I realized something. There's a gate, and the gate is to keep people out. Anywhere you have a gated community, that's to keep you out. You put a gate up, we're keeping stuff out. Well, the Bible says we are to storm somebody's gate. Whose gate? Devil's gate. Why? Because he got this planet legally when Adam sinned. He took over. Steals, kills, and destroys, famines, earthquake, hell, sickness, dying, disease. Who's doing that. Satan, he's a murderer. He's a liar and the father of all liars, and he is God of this planet. Jesus is not Lord over this planet. If he is, he's doing an incredibly sorry job. Jesus is not Lord. Satan's Lord over this planet right now. Jesus is Lord over me. I gave him permission when I got born again. He's my Lord, not the planet's Lord. He's my Lord. I am behind enemy lines, and I am storming the gates of hell. My job is to go storm hell and take back what the devil stole. It's my full-time job. But if I didn't learn that as a child, I'm a thumb sucking I ain't never had a break, never had a good job, and I never bought a good car, and I never married a good woman. I never had, and my kids are rotting, and my dog bit me, and the apples are bad, and my <laughs> Well Let's just do a reality TV show so everybody else can watch here it is, the book of Jude. Uh, Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied about people in the last days. He said, listen, God's coming with countless thousands of his holy ones. That's not happened yet. It's going to. To execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of the ungodly things that they have done and the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are. Now, here's where we're living at. Here's, I'm talking about parenting. I'm not left the subject. But children are born with a sin nature. First word a kid learned is, no. No. Well, yeah. No. (laughs) All right. We have found your sin nature. Bless your heart. (laughs) Born toward rebellion. That's why it it takes teaching and training to change them. They don't come out automatic. They're not born grown up. You got to teach them how to bathe and wipe and feed and brush and then talk and walk and then sit down and shut up. It's just a whole lot of stuff involved. (laughs) In the last day, people be grumblers, complainers, living only to satisfy their own desires. They'll brag loudly about themselves. They'll flatter others to get what they can. You, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of Jesus Christ said. They told you in the last days there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts. They do not have God's Spirit. But you, my dear brothers, must do three things. Build up yourself on your most holy faith, Pray in the Holy Ghost and walk in love. You have a very simple deal. I'm going to train you, little boy and girl of mine. I'm going to train you. You better have faith. Without faith, you don't please God. Without faith, you don't whip the devil. The faith comes by the Word of God. So we're going to have you in church the day you're born. You're going to be in preschool. You're going to be in nursery school. You're going to vacation Bible school. You're going to youth group. You're going, I'm going to bathe you in the Word of God. You're going to grow in God's grace and in His knowledge. You're going to grow up using your faith. I'm going to teach you how to pray in the Holy Ghost. When you pray in tongues, you're praying the absolute perfect will of God for your life. The devil can't understand it. It's a foreign language from heaven. He can't stop it. You're praying out God's perfect will. Three months from now, an incredible door is going to open up, and you think you got lucky. You no, know you didn't. You prayed that out in the Holy Ghost three months ago. That's why Paul said, I thank my God. I pray in tongues more than y'all. It's not to make you religious. It's to open up doors. Oh, It's quiet. And then the third thing is you got to learn to walk in love. What's that mean? You got to learn how to deal with people that are meaner than snot and nasty as snot. Praise God. Well, God bless you. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter three verse one, I'll paraphrase the rest of it. It says in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, heady, high-minded, truce breakers, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, disobedient to parents. It's a list of twenty-two traits of people that he says in the end from such people, stay away. Why? You'll become like who you hang around. I gotta pick my kids' friends. You don't pick them. I pick them. You're not smart enough to pick them. Because you'll become like who you hang around. You ever had your kid go away, spend the night with somebody, come back, and they suck their brains out of their head? They come back mean and mouth They're like, what happened to you? Well, you got around some other demonic thing. No, no, you're not going over there anymore. We're going to have to watch this. So that's another seminar. You go to Matthew 24, they ask Jesus, what's going to be like when you come back? Well, there'll be wars, rumors of wars, famines, and earthquakes. Whoa, that's bad. Luke 17, they ask, what's going to be like when you come back? Well, it'll be like it was in the days of Noah and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. A flood? No, no. People will be eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, buying, selling, building, and plenty. It will be business as usual until the day I come back. The day Jesus comes back, nobody's going to be looking for him except the church. Walmart will be full. People be on the lake. And all of a sudden, we're out of here. See you. Till then, till then, the point's not the wrap, till then we got something we're supposed to be doing. Now. Let me give you this. I'll just spit this at you real quick. When we went back, I said, I've got to put these scriptures together. What's my job? My family and I live on a hellacious planet. Satan's the god of this world. He's stealing, killing, destroying. What do I need to know? Well, I need to know that the Bible says in Psalm 91 that the angels of God camp around about me, that no evil will come near my dwelling. I've got to order my steps, direct my Well, so I'll have sweet sleep at night. I've got to start getting me some promises for living behind enemy lines. I've got to load up with the word of God because my job's to storm hell, not hide under my bed from it. I'm supposed to make the devil sweat, not make me sweat. So we go all the way back to Genesis 18, 19. In the beginning, God picks this old man to start a whole race of people. I'm going to start with this old man right here. I'm going to pick him and start a whole race of people. Well, you really picked the wrong guy because he he can't have babies. They're impotent. I mean, he's 100, she's 90. They couldn't have kids when they could have kids. They can't have them now. No, I'm going to pick him. I'm going to pick a man that can't have kids to have some because God loves to show off. So I'm going to pick. Why are you picking him? Because I know him. What do you know about him that he can't have kids? No. I know that when he does have kids, he will teach his children, his grandchildren, and all those of his household. He's going to pass on the faith to the next generation. Now God promised Abraham. He said, "Get up out of your country, leave where of the Caldees, come over. I'm going to give you all this land. Everywhere you look, everywhere you walk, you're going to be the father of many, many people. Your seed will be the stars of heaven and the sands of the sea." He said that to men who couldn't have kids. Now, you got to teach your kids early because faith is real important. But faith's based on what you believe to be the truth. This is the truth. The devil's a liar. The devil's lying to my kids constantly. My job is to get the truth in them. Truth sets you free. Lies are going to bind you up. No i likes and they're going to get better, and they're going to work out. Shut your face up. God works all things out to my good. My greatest day is in front of me, not behind me. God's mercy is new in the morning, not yesterday. I got it made. You ain't even seen me yet. You got to get that in you deep because there's opposition coming. So all of a sudden, we got Abraham. You get down to Isaac. Isaac finally, daddy dies, and he buries him. Isaac's been born. Got another brother, Ishmael. That's why I have high oil prices. God promised to bless the seed of Abraham. That's another story. And so all of a sudden here's Isaac. He gets married. What do I? Right, well, my name's Isaac. I am the son of Abraham. We're going to build her a whole new race of people. And our stars of seed will be the stars of heaven, sons of seed. And because my daddy, you know, just, you know, had me and him. And my mama died. And he got remarried, had seven more. So it's not seed like there's, you know, there's about eight of us walking around. But, but now I get married. And so he marries, he marries his wife, and all of a sudden he marries her. And guess what? He marries her just the way, and she can't get pregnant. It's not. I thought you said we're going to start a whole race of people that have so many kids, you can't count them. My daddy marries a woman that can't get pregnant. I marry a woman that can't get pregnant. If you're so stinking good, how come we keep marrying women that can't get pregnant? <laughs> I'm telling you what he thought. They didn't record that, but he thought it. <laughs> so he has to pray. And the Bible says that Isaac goes to pray. He's going before God. Man, God, I need my wife to get pregnant. He's praying. And God answers his prayer. She has twins. He, he prayed too long. Because the promises of God are yes and amen, but there's a devil who's a thief trying to stop. Well, I don't believe and I pray nothing happened. God never blessed me, and I never had. That's because you're on an alien planet. Worse, there's a thief that hates your guts. Your job's to resist him, not gripping God. You're talking the wrong direction. Jesus said, you speak to the mountain. You speak to the wave. You speak to the storm. Quit talking to God. You're talking the wrong direction. We've got to raise up a group of people that think it's normal to bind the devil, to plead the blood, to speak to things, call life where there is no life, to let the redeemed of the Lord say so, let the weak I'm strong, let the poor I'm rich. If you don't start saying what God moves over his word, he watches over his word to perform it. But if you're not giving him anything, he can't move. He won't cheat. God's not allowed on this planet. That's why there's prayer. Prayer's not a religious thing. It's a legal thing. Jesus said repeatedly, I know what you need before you ever ask. Well, then why don't you give it to me? It's not legal. <laughs> See, we're not allowed on that planet. We gave that planet to a man, A man gave it away. Only a man could get it back. Thus, silent night, holy night, we through kings of Orien are. God had to come as a man. He couldn't just show up and take it back. That would be cheating. A man lost it, a man had to get it back, and he did get it back. We tricked the devil into killing him, and he didn't deserve to die. So when he came out of the grave, he bought our salvation. We messed the devil up. So all of a sudden, here we are in Genesis, and I realize I need you, them. I'm going to pick this guy because he'll teach his children. Then you start running down through the scriptures, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, I command you to teach your children when you get up, walk by the way, sit down, and lie down. Psalm 78, I command you to teach your children to the fifth generation. Teach your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great, and your great-great-grandchildren. Keep teaching your children about me, my ways, my works, my wonders, that they might have hope in me and might not be as their fathers who forgot me, who would not go over the word of God. They forgot me. And even though they were armed with bows and arrows, they turned back in the day of battle for they had leanness in their souls. Teach, 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 teach. My people destroy for lack of teach knowledge. I don't need that. I don't need nothing. Go ahead, be a thumb sucker. You don't need God. You don't need nothing. Get on out there, big boy. Get on out there. Let's see how you do. You're going to get stoned. We need one another. All of a sudden, you come on down through the scripture, and you realize God's starting to try to teach us something. Psalms 112 said, if I fear God, my seed will be mighty upon this planet. Wealth and riches will be in our house. Our righteous will endure forever. Psalm 127, Psalm 128 said, our children will be like arrows in our hands, not pains in our backside. Why? Because we're going to teach them. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go when he's old and not depart from. Isaiah 54, 13, all of our children should be taught of the Lord. Great will be their peace and undisturbed composure. You know, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. From Genesis Revelation, I'm going to give you a great opportunity. I'm going to give you a a blank plate here. Here's a child. Teach him and train him. And we'll produce something so strong the devil will quake every time they wake up. We were supposed to... Thus, the job of the church is to teach and train. It is our job. It's not a perfect deal. It's an ongoing deal. You never arrive. It's not a destination. It's a journey. And so I tell my kids, I'm not trying to get you to 18. I'm trying to get you to the end of your life. I want you to bring great honor to your family name. I want you to do well. I want you to go and be something and do something. But if you don't get in the Word of God, that's not going to happen. So I'll give you this. This is the sermon. It's only five minutes long. Luke two fifty two. Jesus grew in four areas. He grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. Most of our kids have grown up being yelled at. I yelled at mine. Dear God, i was great at yelling at them. You're a dumber in dirt, want them out the hill of beans. I mean, we were in Israel years ago, and on the Sabbath in Israel, Friday, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, the Jews fill up all the, all the resorts and all the kibbutzes are packed. They don't work. They make food ahead of time. You don't light a match. You're eating cold food all that day if you're a tourist. So they're there for 24 hours. They have 24-hour church. They show up Friday night. Man, they're going to play and swim and sing and dance and twirl and eat. And they're just, it's the dad that gets up the morning of the Sabbath. Mom doesn't do it. And it's what dads get the kids up, get them dressed and take them to the synagogue. Mom just follows behind. It is great to be a mother on the Sabbath in Israel. What are you doing? Nothing. You cooking dinner? Not today. You dressing the kids? His job. <laughs> Dad's taking the synagogue. Dad's bringing back more food, more celebration. At sundown on Saturday, we've had 25 church. Before they leave the kibbutzes, before they leave the big resorts, the fathers will get their entire family in a giant circle. And we would stand in the back of these and we would look and first year we're there like, what are they doing? Well, you're about to see why Jews think different. So all the fathers get their family in a circle, in a big circle, and either the senior dad, either the dad or the grandfather, will then get in the middle of the circle, walk around and lay hands on every kid in his family. And here's what he now speaking in Hebrew. But here's what they're saying. May the Lord make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. May the Lord make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. May the Lord make you. And he's saying over and over, what's he doing? He said, may the Lord make you spiritually strong and economically creative 52 times a year every year of your life your daddy lays his hand on your head and says may God make you spiritually strong and economically creative not you're gonna map yellow beans I'll be glad when you're out of my house we wonder what we produce in America we have produced ourselves we were supposed to produce God in them, and there's still a chance. God can redeem the time, catch us up as though we're not lost a day. I don't care how bad a parent I've been. God can fix me in a moment of just a moment of time. Joe, we can turn this around right now. I'm a miracle worker, dead-raising, water-parking God. I can make your seed mighty on this planet. Wealth and riches will be in the house. It's going to be something. I thought, we're going to have to change this deal here. We're going to get something going on. So when Jesus grew, here's how he grew. Four areas. Number one, Jesus grew in wisdom. This is all... You can go out on our book table, there's a book called Eight Things No Kids Leave Home Without and, uh, uh, that's got some great stuff in it, and Bill On 101. This is all packed in there. Jesus grew in wisdom. If he grew in wisdom, I need to grow in wisdom. Well, Proverbs 4, 7 says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get yourself some. Well, I need to get myself some wisdom. What's it going to do? Well, James 1 5 says, If you lack wisdom, you can ask God. He'll give it liberally, and upbraid if not. Proverbs says, You want to be wise, walk with wise men. I want to have, I got six kids. I need you to grow up wise, not stupid. Because Proverbs 1 says there's only four kinds of kids in the Bible wise, simple, foolish, and scornful. If my child's not wise, you're one of the other three. And that's going to cost me money. If you're simple-minded, you're not evil, you just don't have any smarts. You don't do the smart thing, you don't do the right thing. You're not evil, you're just dumb. You're not wise, you're simple-minded. If you stay simple-minded long enough, you become a fool. It's sport for a fool to make mischief. You'll make a game out of getting in trouble. You'll think it's cool to steal the stop signs and peel your tires out of a red light and see when you can still get away. It's a game. You stay a fool long enough, you go to stage four, you become a scorner. A scorner hates those that love them. Scorners don't want to listen to anybody. They're right, be hard none. And that is a bad stage because God says, cast out a scorner, strife and contention will cease. Now, there's a whole deal in that. Like, I don't need a scornful child, I need a wise child. So how are you gonna do that? i pray over them twice a day. Father, teach my children to fear you, for the fear of God's beginning of wisdom. With that wisdom, Proverbs 316 comes long life, riches, and honor. I pound heaven on behalf of my kids. Are they perfect? No, because they didn't have perfect parents. Man, I'll tell you, I've made rules before. I've got, man, new rule. you got a new rule in the house. And I'd bark it out. And I remember Sarah, my oldest, who was the pain. She's so smart. She's dad. You know, you can make that rule because you're the head. But if you make that rule, this, this, and this is going to happen. Okay, dumb rule. Forget that rule. Forget that rule. No rule. <laughs> I'm not the head of my house because I took a test and got the highest score. I'm the head of my house because God said so. So I realized I gotta get my kids wise. So, what wisdom is this having a vision for your life? Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people perish. My job is to constantly plant vision into my children: who they are, what they're gonna do, where they're gonna go, what they're gonna be. I still do it as an adult. We get together again with our family every Christmas and I pay for family vacation, and they bring their spouses and kids. But I do it for four hours. I own you every year. I own you for four hours, even though you're an adult. We did it when they were younger. I give them a blank piece of paper. Actually, I give them six blank pieces of paper. This is the second. Seminar: fifteen hundred dollars. They come to ORU twice a year, uh, about every other year. And here's what the seminar is: it's a leadership seminar about trying to plant vision. They ask you six one-word questions: who, what, where, how, why, when. It's a holiday seminar for fifteen hundred dollars. Well, I did it. I don't have to write a check again. I've been once, and I know what they're doing. But I made it biblical. So I get my kids together every Christmas. Here we go. Blank piece of paper. You have two minutes, one hundred and twenty seconds. Tell me who you are. What? Shut your face up. Right then, we're going to have dinner here in a minute. tell me who you are. I don't want your name. I named you. I don't need to know your name. I named you. I don't want your name on that paper. I want you to tell me who you are. Well, I don't know what I'm supposed to write. Well, who are you? Of course, they didn't know in the beginning, so it's the in him, in whom, in Christ scriptures. 133 them in the Bible. I just want three in the mouth of two or three witnesses, things established. Tell me who you are in Christ. Do you know? Because if you don't know, you're not acting it out. You're grabbing up what you're not, haven't done, what's not going well. You're a thumbsucker. I want you to tell me who you actually are, that you were bought by the blood of the Lamb. You've been redeemed from the curse of the law. I want something on that piece of paper. Who are you? You got two minutes. I handed back another piece of paper. What are you doing here? Now, <laughs> one time, what are you doing here? And said, so, well, you invited us to dinner. No, I don't mean at my house. What are you doing on this planet? Well, you and Mom wanted to have us. No, we didn't. We were not thinking about you. Trust me, you were not on my mind that night. You are the funniest thing from my mind. You are a surprise. <laughs> what are you doing on this planet? Where are you going? When do you plan to get there? How do you plan to get there? What are you going to do when you arrive? Who, what, where, how, why, when? Two minutes each. Boom, boom, boom. Then I give one blank piece of paper with five columns. Now that you know who, what, where, how, why, when, I want one sentence. Where are you going to be in five years? Now we're sitting at a table at the Christmas vacation. Where are you going to be in five years? I want one sentence. I don't want a paragraph. One sentence. Where are you going to be in five years? Okay, if you're going to be there, where are you going to be in four years? What? Well, if you're going to be here in five, where are you going to be in four? Same place, well, you made no progress, so better be something different. Where are you going to be in three? Where are you going to be next year? I make them write it down and they have to hand it to me. Now, the first year we did it, I said, well, let's go eat. What are you going to do with that? Well, it's going to keep it for a year. You tell me next year you're going to be here, so, you know, next year we'll bring it out and see how much progress you've made. And it's going to be embarrassing because there'll be peer pressure. The whole family's going to be here. You said you're going to be here. What have you been doing for 12 months? Nothing. Thumb sucking, doofusing, taking a nap, what? You've made no progress, we're going to go somewhere. I guess you can just sit on the side of the road and, bye. <laughs> and you laugh, I'm very sad, I put peer pressure on him. If you don't have a vision, you're going to perish. Where are you going? What do you believe in God for? Well, it's better. It's not. There's a devil, he's a thief, he's working on you right now. He's plotting and planning against you. It's going to get nasty. I need you to get a vision for your life. I need you to write it down and start praying over it. If you're not, you're not going to make it. And you can start when they're three years old and do this. You can start when they're five. What are you going to do? i want to be on the kindergarten basketball team. Well, I just can't walk and chew gum. I don't care. You can make the team. We'll start believing God because somebody else on that team can't walk and chew gum either. So there'll be two of you, and you can take their place. (laughs) I'm telling from a true story. Anyhow. Plan of vision, number two, Jesus grew in stature. means he became self-disciplined. If you don't learn to discipline yourself, God will have somebody in your face the rest of your life. If you don't drive the speed limit, God has people with bubbles on their car that will help you drive the speed limit. <laughs> Judge yourself lest you be judged. You know, communion. Romans 13, I set up authority. You kick against authority, God said you're kicking against me. My job is to help my child become self-disciplined. Do what's right because it's right to do what's right, not because somebody's looking at you because there are rewards for righteousness and God judges sin. Do what's right because it's right to do it. Clean up your bed. Take out the trash. You know, wash yourself. Brush your teeth. Do what's right. I'm going to train you to do what's right. Parenting's got two phases. Zero to 12 is the training time. You jump, and I'll tell you how high on the way up. I am Lord God Almighty in your life. I'm the most powerful thing you've ever seen. I'm your parent. I'm going to tell you where you're going to go, what you're going to do, what you're not going to do, what you'll watch, what you won't watch, what you'll see and not see, what you will and will not wear. I am God Almighty in your life. You're going to look really good. Then around 13, I'm going to start teaching you why I told you that, because cultures change. Listen, we dressed like Elvis when I was a kid, you know, hair real long, bare grease on it, curled up cigarettes on her sleeve, curled a little, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Now, I love Delvis. I really do. I think he should have been a, a, an evangelist. He never answered the call of God on his life. I think he ran from God. He died in front of his toilet with his underwear around his ankles. That is not how you're supposed to go out. The devil stole from him because nobody, I think, probably prayed for him. They just got entertained by him. Incredible gift that the devil stole. I try to tell my kids, if you don't start discipling yourself, it's going to be ugly. You're going to be the thumb sucker. And I will take my seniors every year. We go visit the prison. We're going to go visit the prison. We're going to visit the jail. We're going to visit divorce court. So you had to get permission from the parents. They said, we're going to divorce court four hours a day. We're going to watch two people at one time before God and witnesses swore their undying love to one another until death us do part. Today, we're going to sit in the balcony of the Tulsa court, and you're going to watch two people. You're going to hear more cuss words than you knew existed. You're You're going to hear every foul, nasty, damnable thing you can imagine between two people who at one time swore their love. What happened? The devil's a thief. If you're not building a marriage, you're losing one. He's gonna stomp you into the dirt and you'll blame somebody's flesh and it's not flesh fault. God said, you're not fighting against flesh and blood. You're fighting against the devil. That's why as a child you leave home, you better know who you are and what you're dealing with. So I uh, get self-discipline. Number three, Jesus grew in favor with God. Everybody's gifted. All my kids are gifted different. Sarah could read a book and had a, almost a photographic memory. Make an A. That doesn't mean she told the truth or kept her room clean. It has nothing to do with character. Your gift makes room for you, brings you forth kings, makes you wealthy. Your gift does not take you to heaven. Jesus takes you to heaven. There's a lot of great, wealthy people who are going to bust hell wide. Open because they don't know Jesus. That's not God bless them. That's them using their gift. The shame would be to know Jesus and not even know you had a gift. So Sarah was great. At that Jess was a great basketball player, three point shooting champion. That made and she became an accountant. She loved numbers. Uh, our third daughter, like I said, journalism major, great with words because she's a middle child. Fourth daughter loved medical stuff. She loves putting eyeballs back in and sewing you up. Fifth daughter listen, John. He's going to be a business major. He loves just putting things in order. Your gift is what's going to make room for you. Well, there's just no jobs. When do you think that started? Well, it's been, you know, the last two or three years, there's just no jobs. Listen, I'm old enough. I remember back in the 50s, there were no jobs. In the 60s, there were no jobs when we were high as not. In the 70s, we no jobs when we were drunk. In the 80s, there were no jobs, but we were really smart. My family came out of the depression. There were no jobs. They lived on the farm, they didn't have any man, eat, they eating grow growth. They didn't eat it. There's never been a good time. Well, I remember the good old days. When? When was that? I taught history. When were the good old? I must have missed it. They must have left out the history book. And we're always wanting to blame somebody else. No, my gift will make room for me, bring me before kings, and make me wealthy. I tell my kids, you're all gifted different. Your gift will not blossom when you turn 18. Some of your gifts may not show up you're 40. But all of you were gifted by God to do something. You're to use your gift to serve your fellow man. That's where you're supposed to be going. And the last thing is Jesus grew in favor with man. There are more scriptures in your Bible on friends than there are on hell. Because friends will take you to hell. You got to know who your friends are. You want to have friends? You got to show yourself friendly. As iron strikes, iron, so the countenance of a friend. Go from the presence of a foolish man if you don't perceive him the lips of knowledge. So I buried my kids. I'm going to make you the most social creature in your school because I know how the devil works. The devil doesn't have horns and a pitchfork. He's not puking green stuff. He's going to show up smelling good, looking good, and talking good. He's the most beautiful thing God ever made. He's full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, charge of wealth, charge of music. He still uses those gifts to lure people into hell. So we're going to equip you first. We're going to make you completely satisfied with who you are. Mark then of a perfect man into that man peace. You want your child to leave home locking themselves. I don't have to be a straight-A student. I don't have to be able to walk and chew gum. I don't even know how to diagram a sentence. I do need to leave home knowing I'm accepted in the beloved. God loves me just like I am, warts and all. I don't have to earn it, prove it, or show it. I'm just, how can, you can, if you know that when you leave home, you can walk in the room and say, hey, how can I help you? Because I'm covered. God Almighty has got me covered. And that way, that makes a better marriage, makes a better employee, a better employer. And so you've got to go through the thing of friends. Now, I'm over, some I'm going to give you two passages of Scripture here. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's read this to you real quick. Ephesians chapter 6, because this is what I went through this thing. Here's Paul. I'm going to read you two, three things here real quick and close it. Give me five minutes. This is Paul. This is Paul at the end of his life. He's wrote the church at Corinth. Church at Corinth is griping. It's hard, Paul. We're going through hell over here. You're talking about faith and healing and blessing. we hell. We're hell. The are we going through? Paul got so mad he writes. This is the only time Paul ever griped. In the entire New Testament, here's where he unloaded on him. So he wrote a letter back to him because he's tired of the griping. He said, well, you know, I'm about to sound like a madman, but here I'd like to write you something. I have served far more than you. I have worked harder. I've been put in prison more often. I have been whipped times without number. Faced death again and again. Five times the leaders gave me 39 stripes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned to death. Well, how could he write that? Well, they said he woke up and walked back into town the next day. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole day and night adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers, danger from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as danger from the Gentiles. I faced danger in the city, danger in the desert, danger on the sea. I faced danger from men who claimed to be my friends and were not. I worked hard, long, and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold, without enough clothing to wear, and the governor's got people looking at me right now to kill me. They didn't write him back. There is not a third Corinthians. (laughs) Well, I guess we just better shut up. (laughs) Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, prayed in tongues more than anybody. I didn't say hell wouldn't make a run at you. Test and trials of life come to Everybody. I cannot protect my children. Somebody's going to make fun of you. Not want you to play with them. Not invite you to a party. Welcome to planet Earth. Instead of trying to protect you, I need to equip you and build you into something so you go be a blessing to somebody else. I'm just looking for a blessing. You are a blessing. Go be one somewhere. Now here's it is. Ephesians chapter six. Look at this. Just give these two real close, and this will just give you something to do at dinner. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, final word. The devil, by the way, if you read through the Bible, when Paul wrote about the devil, he was never on an equal plane with God. The devil's always the last thought. He's not mentioned in chapter 6 of Ephesians. The devil's an afterthought. Jesus whipped him in hell, made fun of him in front of all the demons. We have authority over him. Quit thinking about him. Think about what you're doing. You're talking about what he's doing. Don't give him any time. So here he is. He's talking. It's the last part of the letter to the church at Ephesus. Final word, final word, and this is to my kids And we do the parenting thing every year. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Now, up to now, it's been all good and God and healing and blessing and prosperity. By the way, I need you to be strong. What? Yeah, yeah, because the devil's strategizing against you. He didn't sleep last night. He's awake 24 hours a day. He's plotting against you. Well, what did I do to him? Nothing. You were born. Matter of fact, he hated you before you popped out. Well, that's nothing good. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Sure, we are. You ever met my mother in law? We're fighting flesh and blood. No, no, no. And I had a great mother in law. I'm not talking about mine. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in dark places, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Now, if I had time, five levels of demonic activity everywhere. Lucifer didn't just fall. A third of the angels fell. There are demons and devils working everywhere. They hate, they kill, they steal, they destroy. If you don't understand that, you'll constantly blame a human. My boss, my daddy, my mommy. Flesh is not your problem. But if you don't leave home knowing that, the rest of your life, you are a thumb-sucking loser. Well, if it wasn't for them, if it wasn't for them, if it wasn't for them. Bless your heart. You'll never go anywhere. You left home ignorant. You've been, you've been given victory. You're more than a conqueror. You're an overcomer. You're surrounded divine favor. People like you don't even know why. But if you don't know that, a lying devil is going to steal from you. So he goes, and here's what he says. Therefore. Put on every piece of God's armor, be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. The what? Time of evil. Put that on the bumper sticker. Time of evil. When's it coming? Four o'clock tomorrow. No, he never tells. The devil never schedules when he shows up. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of righteousness. Put on shoes for peace, you know, the good news, so you'll be able to be fully prepared. In addition to these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Well, dear Lord, we got five levels of demons that got strategized and he's shooting arrows at me. What did I do? You were born. I want my kids, I want to send them so deep. Don't you ever come to me thumb sucking about nothing. My boss and my and my legs and my grass is growing and my roof is like Shut your face up. I don't need a billboard from hell. I've seen it myself. You're supposed to be overcoming something. What do you believe in God for? What are you saying? What are you praying? What are you confessing? What are you thanking it for? What are you praising? What are you singing? Song your heart. It's like, what what do you, you, I don't need a billboard. I've raised up a billboard. And I realized as a parent, Denise, we've got to stop this. We have made ourselves. Oh, dear God, I've reproduced myself. Good measure, pressed down, chained together, running over. I've produced me. Denise told me that one time. She wasn't prophesying. She's just telling the truth. Take your sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then the last thing, Daniel 10. And look at this. It's just, the th- it's just two short verses. Daniel chapter 10. I always love this about Daniel. He was praying. Here, here it is. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've been in captivity for 70 years. They were minding their own business one day. Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes into their home, burns the house, kills their parents, kills their pet goat, makes them a slave, takes them over to Babylon as a slave. They're over there. Now, they knew something. Jeremiah 29, they had a letter from the prophet. Build your houses, dwell in them, plant a garden, eat the fruit, find yourself a girlfriend, make her your wife, raise her up, have some babies. Marry your babies off to godly spouses and pray for the peace of the city, for in the peace thereof you shall have peace. Now, they got a word from God. Hell's hit them, but God had a word for them. Hell might have hit me, but I got a word for you, you're going to be fine. Matter of fact, in 70 years, you're coming out here filthy, stinking rich, and healthy. Well, all right then, let's get busy living. So four guys got busy living, the rest got their heads chopped off because they didn't believe God. Hell's always happening. Man, we went through hell. We didn't. We found us a girlfriend, got married, and having some babies. We're building the business. Well, didn't you come on. all hell? Yeah, our parents died, burnt down the house, killed our pet, go, but we're running the country now. Daniel ran the country under three heathen kings. God promised me divine favor. I run the country. I'm not the slave of the country. I run the country. I'll be the head, not the tail, above not. Somewhere, every generation, somebody chooses to believe God. Somebody's going to choose to believe God. Well, here they are. I'm through. I'm through. I'm so sorry. There, it's been 70 years. Daniel's pouring over some scrolls one day. There was no email or power, you know, there's no ebook. It's just a, he's noticing, hey, we're, we're only supposed to be here 70 years. And he's almost nine. He's like, hey, we've been here 70 years. Hey, God said we'd only be here 70 years. We'd go home. Hey, God said, we go home. How come we're not going home? It's been seven years. How come we're not going home? Well, because the word of God's the promise, but you have to pray it to pass. God, God will give you the promise. Prayer is bringing this to pass. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Prayer is not a religious thing. It's a legal thing. Once I find the promise, I get to pray it to pass. Oh, my goodness. So he's praying. He's praying for him. Man, nothing's happening. He gets, man, we need to pray and fast. So he starts fasting and praying. He prays and fasts for three weeks. He's read this, go, where's it at? God said we'd leave, be blessed, have well. Where's it at? He's praying. Three weeks he prays. Three weeks later, after he's praying, here it is in verse, I'm um, we'll jumping here at verse uh, August 12. All of a sudden, an angel shows up, lands right next to him, been praying for three weeks. Stomach's growling, he's got bad breath, his armpits stink. You know, you, you fast that long, you smell. The angel answers, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. angel shows up three weeks after he starts praying and says, hey, Daniel, don't be afraid. We heard your prayers three weeks ago. Really? Well, like, where you been? My stomach's stuck together. I'm hungry. So the angel answers him. Well, for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. What spirit prince? The ones Ephesians chapter 6 mentioned, principalities, powers, dominions, the fell of Lucifer, over every country, over every city, over every place. We've been given authority over them, but if we're not using it, we're getting stole from. Well, we're just going to vote somebody better. If you don't pray for those in authority, nobody better is going to. It's not who's in there, it's who's praying for who's in there. It's not who's in office, it's who's praying. Daniel, pray for Nebuchadnezzar. He's not going to get saved. He's going to turn to a billy goat and eat grass for seven years. Because I want you to pray for him. Why? country's going to go as you pray, not who gets elected. I pray for my president every day. God give him wisdom. Surround him with divine favor. Long life will you satisfy him. Surround him with the right people. He'll have the right thoughts. He lays his head on his pillow tonight. He's not going to dream bad dreams. You're going to talk to him when he goes to sleep When he wakes up. I'm the salt. I'm the light. My government's good because I'm here. God told Abraham. Abraham said, "Hey, God, if I can find 50 people, will you not kill all of them? Sure. How about if I find only 40? Will you not kill them? Sure. Well, if I can only find 30, will you not kill them? Sure. He gets all. Well, if I only find 10, will you spare the whole stinking heathen country for them? Sure. I'll do whatever. You're mine. I'll do what you ask. We're groping at our government instead of praying for them. It's wrong. We get judged for that eventually. I'm the salt and the lime Why is doing good? I'm here." Why's your family doing good? I'm here. I represent God. I'm here. You got it. Otherwise, you're the billboard for the other side. Well, it's never going to work. it's ne- no, uh, uh-uh, uh, no. We're the head, not the tail. My seed's going to be mighty upon this planet. I don't care if they flunked the algebra three times in a been in juvenile locked up for ten years. My seed will be mighty upon this planet. God said so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We are the head, not the tail. Somebody's got to turn it around. So he said this, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, you know Michael, he's the thumper of heaven, got tattoos on his arm. Bad boy. Michael never says nothing. You ever read about Michael? He never talks. If Michael shows up, somebody's about to lose something. (laughs) Michael serves the Father. Gabriel serves the Holy Ghost. You understand? Lucifer served Christ. Lucifer got fired. Who took Lucifer's job? (laughs) We did. God said, I'm going to make something a little lower than the angels to replace you, big boy. I'm going to mess with your mind. I'm going to give them authority over you. You should have stayed home, but you didn't. So I'm going to build me something called a church. They're going to rule and reign with me forever. And you're going to boil in the oil and watch it. Blah, 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 blah. I'm three. Watch it. He said this. He said, Michael, when the archangels came to help me and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. person, I've come here to explain what's going to happen. So what did he do? Well he prayed. Now what, what would have happened if what would have happened? Now watch this. What would have happened if all of a sudden he said, "Now I pray for two weeks, nothing's happened. We do 80 seminars a year. This is our 20th year. TV program seating, the third of the planet. Just on family. All we teach on family. Because God promised before I come back, I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. I will turn the hearts. I'm going to fix busted families. It's what I'm going to do. The last great day revival is fixing busted families. But I need somebody to stand in the gap. I'm going to turn them back. It's going to be something. So, what if you don't pray? Well, I prayed, nothing happened. How long? Did you pray? I prayed. I bet I prayed for a week and nothing happened. You didn't pray long enough. How long do you pray until something happens? How long do you pray until something happens? This is going to be a jubilee year for many of you this year. The devil's making a run at a lot of people right now. He knows his time's up. And he's going to boil. He is livid the devil is livid he's trying to bust families bust business bust your sanity your health he is making a run we've been given authority we need to use it amen let's stand up all of us are going to have the same opportunity i had a group of seniors one year i was doing a business course i thought of something it was a god idea i brought them in on a monday so i'm going to give every one of you today they're all seniors in my high school I'm going to give everybody in here a dollar. We've been learning about business and prosperity, God-ordained business. So I'm going to show you something. I'm going to teach you something. All of you heard the same thing. You've all been in the same class. You've read the same books. But I'm going to show you something. everybody will make a choice. Everybody's getting a dollar today. You have until Friday to do something with this dollar. I've tried to teach about biblical finance. I'm trying to see what you'll do with it. You've got until Friday to do something with this dollar. Now, I don't care what you do with the dollar. You can buy a moon pie or Dr. Pepper. I don't care. You're going to get an A on Friday. Because I'm trying to prove something. Everybody's getting a dollar. Do whatever you want with it. But on Friday, you're going to come back. You're going to bring me the receipts of whatever you spent the dollar on. Okay? They come back on Friday. And some kids did. Some guys on the ball team, they said, yeah, I'm a good jock. And I, so they bought a Dr. Pepper and a Moon pie, and they had a receipt for it. I <laughs> brought me a Dr. Pepper and a Moon pie. Fine, have a seat. God bless you. This one kid came up. He had, he had $117 one bills. Bought them a one-dollar bills. Well, you get to come up front the class. He comes up, he starts counting them out. Because choo Cause just doing to show off. Pop, pop 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 Kids, oh, he's lying. What'd you do? Who gave you that? And he just keeps counting out. Counts out one hundred seventeen dollars. So you took a dollar and you made one hundred seventeen dollars in one week. He said, "Yeah." I said, "What'd you do?" He said, "Well, Monday I took the dollar. I bought some five cent candy. I sold it for a quarter on Tuesday. Tuesday I bought some quarter candy and I sold it for a dollar on Wednesday. So then I bought a football and I sold it to a kid. I sold the football. Bought a ten speed or five speed bicycle. Sold the five speed bicycle this morning for one hundred seventeen dollars to a neighbor." In one week, one kid took $1, made 117 And most of it, well, he got lucky. There is no such thing as luck. Luck does not exist in the Bible, it's not a real word. God, the devil, heaven, and hell, we get to choose. I want you to know it helped several of those $1 boys who thought they'd done something really bad. I got a Dr. Pepper. You yeah, know, you're a doofus. I don't want my daughter marrying you. I'll tell you right now. This guy I'm hooking up right here. God says, I've set before you life and death, blessing or cursing. Guys, it's the greatest day of human history. God allowed us to be born in this time. We've been fortunate to be allowed to be alive in the last days. God's spirit poured out without measure, Acts chapter 2. We're going to prophesy and dream dreams. You can either watch the world or you can watch God. Let's go chase God and go take somebody with us. What do you say? Bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. I want everybody to look up. Look right here. Say this after me. I believe in speaking the word of God. This is what I do twice a day. I love this. I believe in this. everybody say this after me. Keep your eyes open, your heads up. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It sets me free and it keeps me free. According to your word, I ask you, teach my family to fear you. Surround my family with divine favor. Bring to my family godly friends. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Angels just got busy. Psalm 34:11 says, "Come to me, and I will teach you the fear of God." Psalms 5:12 said, "I will surround the righteous with divine favor." Proverbs 27:17: "I will bring godly friends across your life." God said, "I want to do it, but I need you to ask." We just did it, and God's busy right now. You're about to have a jubilee in your family. I believe that. Amen. Sixty more seconds. Bow your heads and close your eyes. One short minute. We'll be through. One short minute. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody looking. Two quick questions. Are you here this morning? Say, Joe, I do not know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I have never, ever asked him into my heart. But God's dealing with me right now, and i like to do something about that. If that's you, I would like to pray a 30-second prayer over you right out of the book of Romans. I am not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm simply going to ask you in a few seconds, if that's you, to simply raise your hand and wave it at me and put it right back down. I'm going to see it. God's going to see it. The Bible says this, those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're willing to acknowledge you need a Savior, God in heaven will save you right where you stand. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make you a new creature in Christ. It's that simple. Or perhaps you hear this one and say, Joe, I'm saved, but my life's not turned out like I thought. I'm in a mess right now. If that's you, you pray the exact same prayer because God promises this. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But God's also a forgiver of sins. So if that's you, here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask God to come into our life, and you're going to ask him to take that sin out of our life and forgive us. Take our sins as far as the east is from the west, Put them in the depths of the sea. There'll be no record of our sins in heaven. And God promises he'll make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole from us. So whether you're getting saved for the first time or just rededicating your life, this can be two of the biggest miracles that can happen. So with nobody looking, every head bowed, every eye closed. said, Joe, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Would you pray that prayer over me? Joe, that's me. I want to rededicate my life this morning. If that's you on either count right now, get your hand up and wave it at me and put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you over there. Thank you, son. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Joe, I'm not raising my hand. Listen, God does the saving. God does the forgiving. He just needs your permission. That's all you do when you raise your hand. You're giving God permission to do all the work. Anybody else? Joe, I've not raised my hand yet. Thank you. Please include me in your prayer. Anyone else? Yes, thank you right there. I see it. Yes, anyone else? Yes, thank you right there. Anyone else? Anyone else? Quickly, we're going to pray. Anyone else? Yes, thank you for your boldness. Thank you. Yes, right there. Thank you. All right. All right. Anyone else? We're going to pray. Anyone else? Come on. Anyone else? Anyone else? All right, hands down, heads bowed, eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. Those of you who your hands, we're going to pray with you. God's about to do the two greatest miracles he can do, save souls and forgive sins. So, people, let's help them pray. Everybody in here, say this after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe. He is your son. He died for me. And you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, save me. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you by faith. With thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, for the many hands that went up this morning, either for the first time ever, or it's a reaffirmation of their faith in you according to your holy word and their obedience right now. As of right now, they are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. They are your sheep. You are their shepherd. They will hear your voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Proverbs says you're going to talk to them when they go to sleep, when they wake up and they walk during the day. They're in your hand, Father. No man can take them out. We welcome them both into the family, back into the fold. As they leave today, surround them with a shield of divine favor. And as they leave today, bring godly friends into their life. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, give the Lord a hand clap. Thank you for listening to the Connecting Place podcast For more information about Believers Church, visit believers.cc.